0: Man, this last three weeks, I've been talking um, about the same basic thing, and I hope you guys have been with us. Um, If you haven't, I tell people uh, one thing that's really cool, just because of technology, how awesome it is nowadays. We have all of our our messages uh, videotaped, and then they're put up on our, uh, I guess it's not even videotaped anymore, there's no tape involved. They're they're, uh, recorded, and then they're put up on our website. At xchurch.com, you can go on a watch and listen tab, and you can watch all these uh, messages. If you haven't, I encourage you to go back, watch this series from beginning to end, from Easter until now, because it really plays in well together. They're really linked up. Um, but today I'm going to kind of finish up this, this series I've been doing. Um, here's what, uh, the, the main thing I've been talking, talking about, just to go back to this, um, yeah, I've been talking about Jesus this whole time. Just, I mean, and, and I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I always talk about Jesus. Um, it's really the only thing I'm interested in. But if, if you take it back to the beginning of the story, here's what's kind of cool. Jesus was, was born in a small area of the Middle East, and he was born to a, to a poor family. Um, we, we hear the fact that in the Bible it says his dad was a carpenter, by no means a rich man. And he, th- he spent those first 30 years of his life um, off the radar. Basically, what he did is he was learning his father's trade. He was a carpenter for the first 30 years of his life. And then we just start hearing about him when he, when he gets about 30 years old. This man never married, never had kids, and actually never traveled farther than just a couple hundred miles from where he was born. Pretty interesting. He arrived on Earth at a time when global communication, video, audio, um, they really didn't exist. Not even quickly printed text, which I talked about last week, was you know Johannes Gutenberg when I, I shared that with you last week. That wasn't around yet. Yet, 2,000 years later, 6,000 miles away, we're talking about him. 2,000 years after he existed, 6,000 miles from the place in which he lived, we're sitting here this morning talking about this man, Jesus Christ. Now that's amazing, right? Considering those things and the fact that he was really only on this earth doing his ministry, the things that made him famous, for only about three years. And to this day... More songs, paintings, and books have been created in reference to him than any other man in history. How in the world could this have happened? Doesn't it seem unlikely? I mean, this man born all the way on the other side of the earth, only really being in the public eye for almost three years, and yet 2,000 years later, he's one of the most popular people, I mean, one of the most recognized people all around the world, one of the most talked about, and we're talking about him, What's interesting is that if we even go to his crucifixion, his death, that so many people point to, on the right and left of this man was another guy. One on his left, one on his right, who were crucified as well on the same day. But we don't remember their names, do we? There's no churches getting together this morning to worship the guy on the left or the guy on the right of Jesus. What made Jesus so memorable, so unforgettable? If you have your Bibles this morning... I uh, want you to go to John 20. I keep sharing these uh, pictures of the resurrection, and I want to read this one to you this morning uh, from John 20, uh, verse 1 through 18. John 20, verse 1 through 18. This is what it says. This is after Jesus had been crucified, after he was killed and he was buried. This is the, the story. It says in, in, for, in John, uh, did I say first John? Oh, good, John 20, 1, yes. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and she wept. She bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that she that he had said these things to her. What separated Jesus from these other men on his left and right. <clears throat> and what shocked the world enough that 2000, later, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him, is that Jesus did not stay dead. That he returned from death three days after being crucified and buried. And that sent a shockwave, a shockwave of faith to the people who knew him and, and through the coming generations. Jesus' resurrection <clears throat> not just changed a few people, but if we look down through history, the resurrection of Jesus started a shockwave that changed the world. I want to share three ba- three major points with you this morning. I want you to look at it with me, okay? First and foremost, here's what I want to share: When Jesus came back and resurrected, he brought a brand new idea to the landscape. At this time, there were really only two major thoughts, okay? The first was this, is that there is no such thing as resurrection. There's no such thing as this whole life after death type idea. Um, the broad majority of people, they didn't believe in these thoughts. They followed teachings of people like Homer and other great philosophies who ag- agreed with these. Um, there's this guy, uh, um, no, I'm not saying his name right, but it's like Eschiles, uh the Athenian dramati- uh, dramatist. He wrote this, once a man has died and the dust has soaked up his blood, there is no resurrection. People at this time really didn't believe, most of them, they didn't believe that you could come back from dead. They didn't, they didn't believe that. It wasn't like people just expected it and when it happened, they're like, oh yeah, people weren't thinking about this. But the other major thought pattern that was there at this time for people was that there was a life after death, but it was, see, it was for the soul. Other people, they followed men like Cicero and Plato, and they were under the impression that part of us, an eternal part deep inside of us, would continue to live on after we die. Is an afterlife. But what's interesting about these men is, see, what they believed w- was that this body and the world that we're currently in is just like a cage, like a prison. Our soul doesn't want to be in our bodies, and we're just waiting for the day in which we die, and our soul finally gets to go on into some sort of uh, eternity that's, that's better than what we're in now. But see, both of these thoughts have the same basic core, that death is a one-way street whether they don't believe it at all or whether they believe that a soul lived on, both believed that death was a one-way street in which after there was no coming back from. But Jesus, he flew in the face of this idea, and he brought about the idea of of resurrection. Homer would have never thought it possible. Plato would have never wanted it because he believed the, the soul didn't want to be reinstated in a human body. But that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Not just that he lived on, but he came back to life in his human body again. He brought about the idea of, of true resurrection, and this is a preview of what all of us as Christians sharing in faith with him are going to do someday. Let me clarify it like this, okay? Because this, this helped me understand it a lot. Resurrection is not life after death. Resurrection is life after life after death. You get it? Life after death would be your soul, right? Resurrection comes after that. It says that as Christians, we're not part of a two-step process, we're part of a three-step process in which when we die, our souls go to be with the Lord, our bodies stay here, we're present with God in heaven, and then at the day of Christ coming back, our bodies and our souls are reunited and we are resurrected to a new life in the new future world that God creates for us. This is a brand new idea. It didn't exist back then. Some people, they claim that the resurrection was an idea stolen by Christians and placed on Jesus in order to propel Jesus' like Jesus who he was, right? That they said, oh, we've heard this idea in other people's theology. What we're going to do is we're going to say that Jesus resurrected and then what it's going to do is it's going to be this lie that people are going to believe. But what's interesting is in recent studies, they found this. Check this out. The idea of resurrection to an earthly body from a deity can't be found any time before Jesus. It can only be found after. There's records of other faiths believing in resurrection, but you know what's interesting is? They always happen after Jesus. Before, resurrection was never even talked about. And what it shows is that the idea of resurrection wasn't stolen by Christians to put on Jesus. It shows that other religions stole resurrection from Jesus. Jesus was the very first, and he brought a brand new idea to the universe and then other religions began to use that and say, well, we like that too. <laughs> Let's put that on our our belief as well too. But it started with Jesus. He was the first one who brought it to this world. That's why it was so mind-blowing. No one even thought it was possible. No one thought that, e- even the Jews at the time, the Jews believed in the resurrection, but they just believed that it would happen once at the end, that all of us would die, and someday we'd all be resurrected to a new world. They didn't believe that someone could come back to life. It was shocking, and that's what sent this shockwave through people where they started saying, this guy, there's something different about him. Not only did uh, he bring a new idea to the world, but we see that when, when Jesus' resurrection happened, man, belief in Jesus exploded. It exploded. It didn't just slowly grow. It exploded out of this park. While Jesus was here, he deeply connected with only a small group of people. He says he had 12 major disciples then he had 72, he had 144. People who were following him. But even at the end of the time, when he finally gets uh, betrayed and goes to the cross, you know what it says? Most everyone left him. Most everyone turned around and they ran because they were scared. So it's not like he had a huge following already. He didn't. He had a few people who he had really, really, man, he had put some time into. But before Jesus left, after he had resurrected, he went back and talked to his disciples. And this is what he said. If you have your Bible, if you want to listen to me, it's a short verse. Matthew 28 18 through 20, it says this. Um, I'm actually going to start in 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth you have been, given to me, have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. It says that before Jesus left this earth, he told everyone, listen, I've been given all power, and what I want you guys to do is I want you to go out and I need you to tell people my story. Jesus didn't do this because he wanted to be famous. He did it because he knows that he was the only way to the Father. We read that. John 14, I keep referring back to it. Week after week, I've been telling you about that, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus was saying, You need to go tell people about this, that I came back from the dead. Nearly 2,000 years later, we can see that the disciples did their job. It started and it continued. Right now, Christianity is the largest religion in the world, sporting nearly 2 billion, 2 billion people who belong to it. It spread farther around the globe than any other religion. And believe it or not, it's still the fastest-growing religion in the world. Some people will disagree with you and tell you that it's Islam, but that's actually a lie. It's not true. Because when you come together with not just the fact of how many people are being born into religion, but if you take into account how many are being converted into a religion or starting a new faith, plus then you take away the amount of people who are leaving a religion, Christianity is still the fastest-growing religion on earth. It's amazing. It's amazing. It doesn't look like it here. Because, see, the problem is is we have a really Western mindset. If you go here, you might think, man, it seems like churches are closing. If you go to, man, if you go to Western Europe, even worse. Church seems to be dead there. But, see, the reality is, is we don't have our eyes open to what the rest of the world looks like. If you go places like South America, China, Africa, the church is exploding in amazing ways. The, the the church in, in, in Africa in the last in the last uh, like fifty years has just exploded crazy amounts. Down in if you go to uh, South America, some of the areas down there like Venezuela, man, it, the church is just going crazy. The reality is the church is growing. Although I'll tell you this, a lot of us us white folk here we're going to be the minority. Okay, we're no majority anymore. Seriously, in another few years, when you get to about the age of twenty fifty. We're going to be like not even one-fifth of the Christian population is what I look like, white, blonde hair, blue-eyes type guy. I'm the minority. The rest of the world is going to be the majority. People, the Chinese, there's a good chance when we get to heaven, the primary language spoken up in heaven might be Cantonese because there is a huge population of the Chinese church that's growing over there too. So I'm, I'm telling you, um, the, the church is growing. Maybe it doesn't look like it to us, but it is growing in crazy ways right now. Not only just the fact that the church exploded, um, but because of Christ's resurrection, the people who were his followers, they affected the world in great ways, literally changing the ways uh, the world looks. With the spread of faith in Christianity, astounding social changes began to happen in this world. The, the reality of this is, is it comes back to Jesus because here's the teaching that I can point to of, of why after the resurrection they went back and they said his words must be true, When they read a verse like this, this is what changed everything for them. And it's Mark 12, 28. It says this. This is a story. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus says this. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. This idea of loving your neighbor as yourself was revolutionary. It didn't exist at this time. If you go to the time when Jesus said this, do you know what the mindset was? If you're not working, you starve to death, and that's what you deserve. That's what the mindset was back then. There was no idea of this. It it wasn't like Jesus just said this, and you're like, oh, yeah, we've heard that. That was a brand new idea. Love people like you love yourself? Sacrificially helping somebody? That didn't exist. People said, listen, if they're not working, they don't eat, they starve, that's fine. Oh, someone got sick? Too bad. Their mom's, you know, old and feeble, something like that? She's gonna die. Too bad. That's the reality back then. When Jesus said this, it was, man, it was a, a, a profound teaching. And the idea of loving someone as much as you love yourself was such a foreign concept that it began to change the world. It was countercultural at the time, and it's still pretty countercultural, isn't it? Here are just a few things that people credit Christianity as having a major impact on, okay? First and foremost, the value of human life. After Christ came, they say that because of the Christians, uh, infant uh, how to pronounce it Christ, inf- infanticide or infanticide, but killing babies basically at the time was very, very prevalent. People would have kids, they didn't want them, they would just murder them. And Christians came about and really put a new mindset on that, saying that there's no way Christians would take people, take uh, babies that were going to be murdered, and take care of them. And it soon became where people said, "This is this is a grotesque." you know, misuse of life. And it stemmed from Christians, gladiators at the time. Gladiators were really, really popular. There's a story about a great Christian who ran out and stopped two gladiators and was killed in the process. And that was one of the big distastes that happened where they stopped having gladiators because they said, this is evil. You're not, you don't pin people against each other to murder each other for, for entertainment slavery. I know some people think, oh, the Bible talks about slavery. The Bible talks about trying to do the the best they could in slavery. Slavery existed, so the Bible addresses slavery because it was real at that time. And God was trying to say that you shouldn't mistreat your slaves. You shouldn't do this stuff. But then you can see what Jesus said as he said, everyone's the same. You look at Paul as he starts to write. He writes about a slave who come and was with him. And when he sends him back home to his master, he says, he's not a slave anymore. He's a brother. He says, when he comes back to you, he's a brother. And you see that the Christians were one of the strongest forces. I don't know if you ever heard the story of, of uh, Wilberforce. He fought his entire life to stop the slave trade over in England. At the end of his life, finally it was accomplished. He died only a few days after. It was his, life, his life's goal that Christians fought to, to create human value. Equality for women. Man, Jesus did tons for this. Right alongside the men that he led, women went with him. Some of the people who funded most all of Jesus' ministry, it said there were women who went with him, who funded Jesus' ministry and walked right with him. They were people there. Jesus, uh, uh, he appeared to women first. And you see as the new church goes on that women were right there with him. And throughout the, the course of history, women have been so influential in the Christian church and changing the world because of that. Seeing that women aren't just a second-class citizen, but they're, they're equal with men. And, and what Jesus started was, it changed so much for people. The value of women Compassion and health care. The creation of hospitals was a Christian thing. If you look back to the very first hospitals, they were created by compassion started in Christians' hearts. And most all hospitals, if you look at them, how many hospitals are based on Christian principles? The idea of helping people in healthcare, it came from Christianity. Education. The very first places to study, the very first picture of what universities were, were monasteries, where they'd have libraries that people could study. The education system, if you look at the United States of America, every single college and university that was formed before the Revolutionary War, except one, were based on Christian principles. Every single one of them. Christianity was so influential in the beginning of education and and letting people become who they want to. Right with that, with the education, the whole idea of labor of there being a middle class. That came from Christianity. That was one of the biggest influences they had too. A lot of things before that, they were really just these two classes, rich or slave. And when Jesus came, he talked about working hard, providing for a family, all these different things. And they say that they believe Christianity is one of the biggest influences in creating the middle class. People who work. Science. Tons and tons of the early discoveries of this world were found by people who believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord. A broad majority, actually. Art, art was completely refocused. You notice that around the time after Jesus Christ came and the church took over, the church was one of the biggest influences on art. Some of the most renowned artistic works we can look at are where? In churches, in, in, these, in these areas, are religious art. Not only that, too, but it changed the focus of art. A lot of things before Jesus Christ actually focused on nature, and after Jesus, it focused on people because he was all about people. And of course, Christianity had a huge impact on liberty, on freedom, for average people to express who they were and where they are. If you look throughout history, after Jesus, what they find is that places in which Christianity increased, liberty increased with it. And places in which Christianity was negated, liberty decreased, and there was more oppression. Christianity spurred on by the resurrection of Jesus, has done amazing things for our world. On a much smaller scale than all of that, because that's pretty astounding, right? On a much smaller scale, you can see how it affected even through just simple things, how the Christian faith is so, is so rooted in what we believe. Have anyone ever heard these terms, a good Samaritan, a doubting Thomas, a thorn in the flesh? There's Bible sayings. And they become common sayings that we use in the the world. How about this? How many of you guys know a John, James, Paul, David, Daniel, Aaron, Michael, Joseph, Mary, Martha, Rebecca, Sarah, or Rachel? I think I know one of each. Those names were made famous on this earth because they knew Jesus, because they were with him. And people passed down those names and they'd give them those names because they meant something. These were people who knew Jesus, who were part of our Christian heritage. It's amazing. It changed the world. It changed the world. But to get back down to the basics, I want to say this. I think that all of these things show how Jesus' resurrection, it it shook the world. It changed it. But the reason why it is, because it comes back to the individual. The reason why it changed so much is because it changes people so radically. Not just that it was a good idea, but that people who believe it change radically. The best story that comes to mind is, is one in Acts, and it starts in Acts 7. And it's the story of, uh, of a guy named Saul. If you guys want to turn there, I'd love to read it to you. It starts in, in Acts seven fifty eight. This is the very first mention of Saul. And I'll be right here in seven eight nine in this area. So once you get there, you can find it. But the very first mention of this man, Saul, comes in, in verse 7, uh, 58. It says this, okay? This is the story of Stephen when he was stoned. Stephen was like, pretty much the first real martyr after Jesus went back to heaven. Here's what it says. It says, uh, actually starting in 57. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, Stephen, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They would stone people to death for being a Christian because he basically went off about how Christ was the Savior. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. This is the man Saul that I'm telling you about, okay? As we go forward, starting in in, uh, chapter 9, it says this, talking about Saul. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for uh, a letter to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was Christians. They called uh, people who were following at the time followers of the way. Um, Do you know where that comes from? Anyone? I keep saying that, right? John 14, I am the way. People were being called that because of Jesus' teaching. Whether men or women, he might take them as a prisoner to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. There's what's cool. Saul is this guy who hates Christians. Hates, hates, hates Christians, okay? And it's because he was a Jew and he was like rigid Jew. I mean, there, there's a part in the Bible where he goes back and he says, Listen, if anybody is like a person of God, it's me. And he goes through and he lists out this dude has credentials. He's a Roman citizen, he's uh, a Jew. I mean, completely, 100%. He's a purebred, okay? And he hates Christianity because he believed that it went in the face of Judaism. So on his way to Damascus, he gets knocked off his horse because what happens is he meets the resurrected Christ. The same thing that happened to these women where it shook them. Jesus comes and meets Paul on this road. The other men don't see him, praise God, because they would have probably went blind too. But they hear this, this sound, and, and Saul, he sees Jesus. He meets him, and he's immediately blinded, and Jesus meets with him, and Saul's changed. He goes into the city blind for three days, and what it says happens then is that God tells a man named Ananias, who lived uh, basically on the other side of town, to go and pray for him. And basically, when he gets there, what we see is that Saul's heart had already been changed, Ananias comes and he prays for him, that he might receive his sight, that he might receive the Holy Spirit, and Saul is changed. Check this out. That was in 9, verse 1 through 9 that I just read you. Now, if we literally jump forward to Acts 9, 19, that's 10 verses later, okay? This is what it said. This will blow your mind, okay? Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Several days, several days, okay, in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All, his, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. It says that Saul was on his way to damascus to go find christians and murder them and along the way he meets jesus and he was changed instantly he spent three days in blindness my guess is during that time i wouldn't be surprised if the holy spirit wasn't talking to him changing his heart he was prayed over baptized he spent a few days talking to disciples and then he went out to the very people he was going to murder drag back to persecute and he told them this guy jesus he's real He's real. Faith so radically changed by meeting the resurrected Jesus. Saul went on, um, actually, to be renamed Paul. Um, When he was filled with the Holy Spirit, as he went on and he began to really preach, uh, he changed his name to to Paul, actually. Um, What's interesting with that, actually, uh, Paul actually means the little one. Uh, Paul changed his name to be less arrogant, and he called himself just the little one. And he said, you need to look at the big one, not me. Because uh, Paul had amazing—I mean, the Holy Spirit fell so powerfully on Paul. Get this. It says that sometimes that they would take towels that he would carry with them or robes that he had on, and they would take them and go put them on people who were sick, and they would be healed. That's how heavy the Holy Spirit was on Paul. But he called himself the little one so he could keep pointing and saying, It's not me. It's him. It's Jesus. Paul went on to lead the charge for taking the message of Jesus Christ to the uh, Gentiles. He was a, a, a Jew, but God gave him the, the, the job of the Gentiles. Gentiles are people who weren't Jews. And he led the charge. He became a major leader in the church. If you like the Bible here, 13 of the New Testament books were written by Paul. 13! He was also persecuted. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was betrayed. And at the end of his life, most likely by what we know from church history, is he was beheaded for his belief couldn't be crucified because he was a Roman citizen, and that was a no-no, but he was beheaded for his belief. Experiencing and believing the resurrection of Jesus changed everything for Paul, everything. And we see that because people were radically changed like that, it changed the church so much that it radically changed the entire world. I want to finish up, actually, with a verse that was written by Paul um, into one of the churches, the church in Corinth. Uh, He says this, actually, in in 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, in in verse 12 is where it starts. Hear this, okay? But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. I love this verse. He goes back because people were saying that the idea of resurrection for us, that someday we're going to come into a new life, they were saying, that's garbage. And he says, if you don't believe that and you don't think there's no resurrection, he said, then Jesus couldn't have come back to life either. And if Jesus didn't come back to life, then everything you believe falls apart. The whole, whole reason why it works is that Jesus came back and he proved that he beat death. If you don't believe that, he says, man, you're to be pitied more than all men, more than the people who don't believe. If you say that, then you should be pitied more than all those. I hope that in the last four weeks, and if you guys haven't been here, I encourage you, go back and listen to them. I hope that in the last four weeks, I have continually keep banging away at your head that the resurrection is real. It's real. I shared the fact that the the empty tomb Jesus' certain death, his certain disappearance from the, from the, the grave, um, the strong truth for his resurrection, him showing up alive to multiple witnesses. I showed you the conviction of, of 12 men and many more after that who saw Jesus Christ and then died for that fact that Jesus came back. I showed you the tremendous weight this had on the church, changing tradition, shaking it to its core changing everything for the the church because it was such a revolutionary thing that Jesus did return. And I hope I showed you the fact that by Jesus' resurrection, the world was changed. The world was changed because of him coming back. Like I said from the beginning, the reason why the resurrection is so important is because of this. When Jesus came back, he proved that he was God. When he was here, he claimed it. He says, I'm not just a man. He says, I'm the son of God. And not just that, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way you can get to God. And when he resurrected, he proved that he was 100% truthful, that he was God. In Romans ten nine, 9, uh, it, it says this. Um, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You hear that? It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. This, is the, this belief that Jesus came back is, is foundational. And without it, we don't have any faith. Without it, we don't have salvation. You have to believe that Jesus came back. Half of believing, half of salvation is believing that he conquered death. But what's cool is this, is if that is the truth in our hearts this morning, or if it's going to be the truth in our hearts this morning, if you want to give your life to Jesus, it says this as we continue on this this verse, uh, into verse 20, uh, 1 Corinthians. It says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, that would be Adam and Eve, as in Adam, All will die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. What he says is this. Jesus didn't just come back so he could prove that he was God. He came back because he defeated death. And if you believe that he is the Son of God, if you believe in your heart that he came back, you confess it with your mouth, he says that someday when you die, someday you will also be resurrected just as I was. That's what it means when it says the first fruits. It means that he was the example. And when he did it, what he said is, you're going to experience the same thing I did. You're going to die. You're going to have a time where you're in the grave, which is going to be our time with God. And he says, and then the world's going to start over and you're going to be resurrected to a new life just as I come back. He says, here's the proof. I'm back. That was why the resurrection was so important. Two things I want to give to you this morning. First and foremost, okay, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and this morning you'd say, listen, I want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you have everything figured out yet. Doesn't mean you have it all down on lock, but what it means is that you believe this resurrection really is true. It really must be true. And I do believe that Jesus could be the Lord. If you want to take and you want to start that faith, or maybe even this morning, I I say this sometimes to people too, maybe this morning you're right here, um, you're like right here. It's not wrong to pray this morning and say, God, I'm right on the edge here. I'm really thinking this might be true. It's not wrong to just say, God, I need you to show me. I need you to give me that little nudge and show me how real you are. There's nothing wrong in saying that. Nothing. If you are a Christian this morning, what I, what I, I need you to do this morning is this. You need to get rock solid about the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, you need to look, look at it and say, listen, it's a fact. Look through these things. Man, it happened. And what that should do is it should bolster your faith. Man, it should put steel in your veins. that You, you understand the fact that this, this faith that I have, I know it's real. Jesus came back from the dead. He proved it. He proved that when I die someday, I'm coming back. And it should just take your faith, and it should make it so strong. Just as Paul was, so radically changed, just as these disciples were so radically changed. Let the resurrection of Jesus mess you up. Man, let it mess up your life. Let it turn you upside down. Let it take and spin you around and change the way that your whole world looks because of the reality that it's true. It's true. This morning, I'd love to ask you guys just to close your eyes. Like I said, if we do this just to give honor to the people next to us. Maybe it's not you, but let's give honor to the people next to us, okay? If this morning you'd say, Listen, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I would love to start a relationship with Jesus. Raise your hand, raise your head, and look at me. Get my attention, okay? Anyone else? Yep, I see you. All right, praise God this morning. You know what? This morning, too, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you say, man, this resurrection thing, this, is, this has changed the way I believe, and if you say this morning, you know what I want to say? I want to say, God, I believe in your resurrection, and I want you to mess up my life. I want you to change my faith. Give me the faith the disciples had. Just raise your hand, too. Say this morning, I'd like that same thing. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Let's pray together. Okay. Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. Jesus, I thank you for the fact that your resurrection gives such a clear proof that you are God. And I thank you, Jesus Christ, for giving us that picture of what we'll each experience someday after we die, coming back to life. We thank you for it, Jesus Christ, that you proved your godliness here on earth by it. And we just thank you so much, Jesus, for what a good God you are. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.